Welcome to Charlotte Reader's Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the show where we meet Charlotte area authors and those who visit the Queen City, and we hear them read their work. Support for Charlotte Reader's Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, conveniently located in Park Road Shopping Center. And by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. For more information about these book-minded sponsors who help authors give voice to their written words, please visit them online at parkroadbooks.com and cmlibrary.org or drop by the bookstore or any library branch. In today's episode, we meet Tim Reinhart, author of Jesus' Brother James. No, this is not a book about Jesus' real brother James, but there is a character in the book who is a down-and-out priest who befriends a man who could look the part of Jesus' brother James. The priest passes a man off as a Messiah's brother to another man who has lost the will to live. This leads to a quest by four characters to find meaning in their lives with the help of the mysterious, religious-looking man who speaks only Aramaic. In addition to reading and discussing the book, Tim discusses his short film work, and we listen in to a few scenes from those films. We start first with Tim reading from a scene with Mike and Father Cody, when Mike is about to take his life. Host Landis Wade is committed to making this podcast worth your time. He's a recovering trial lawyer, award-winning author, book and dog lover, whose laid-back style encourages authors to read and talk about their published and emerging works. These are the stories that touch the emotions, followed by conversations that offer depth and insight into the readings and writing lives of the authors. This show is recorded in the well-equipped podcast studio at Advent Coworking, right here in the Belmont community near Uptown Charlotte. You can find links and information about this episode in the show notes at our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. But enough with the prologue. Let's get to the stories. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. Father Cody made a motion with his hand to signal to Mike that now was the time to reveal everything. Corporate downsizing. My boss was looking for synergy targets, and I volunteered. I figured I'd take the severance and relax. I didn't like my job anyway. I didn't even tell my wife. Father Cody took out another cigarette. After four months, the severance ran out, and I couldn't find another job. So now I'm stuck with two kids, bills streaming out of my ass, and no way to pay for them. Money's a common problem with couples, Father Cody assured him. What did you finally tell your wife? I didn't. You never told your wife? She doesn't know? No, I never told her I lost my job. You never told your wife? Father Cody repeated in disbelief. He never understood domestic relationships, which seemed overflowing with small lies, deceit, and distrust. Marriage, a pillar of the seven holy sacraments, represented nothing hallowed to the majority of his faithful. Faithful, what a waste of a word for these people. Again, Mike sensed Father Cody's disapproval, so he blurted, I I thought she would leave me if she knew I had no job. I also thought she was seeing someone else. Now why would you think such a thing, Father Cody asked, intentionally easing his tone. Catholic upbringing. Catholic upbringing. Yeah, even Jesus' parents argued about paternity. Poor Joseph had to believe a spirit knocked up his fiancée. Father Cody smiled as Mike's little joke melted the tension. You've got a good point there. 
and if Mary was a perpetual virgin, then they never had sex. Joseph did have a lot to endure. So the shit show gets better, Mike continue, changing his tone to flamboyance. I hacked into my wife's computer to see if she was stashing money. She's always buying coach shit, and I don't give her money. Thought it had been her parents. Mike tossed the coffee on the ground and picked up a sippy cup of rum. I'm scanning her hard drive and find pictures of her and some guy. Some guy? I can't see faces. Just flesh, dicks, and shit like that. Who the hell takes pictures like that? Father Cody shrugged. Isn't that kind of weird? I mean, really strange. Father Cody put his face close to Mike's. Are you sure it was your wife in those pictures? Mike takes a deep breath. Why would she keep pictures of other people fucking? You're going to kill yourself. You're going to take away a father from your children. You're going to take away everything you have and everything you will ever have on an assumption? Father Cody stopped Mike from drinking anymore. Jesus Brother James is Tim Reinhardt's second novel. As a veteran of the pharmaceutical industry, Tim has traveled the world extensively and studied many diverse cultures. His travels, coupled with an eventful childhood, shape his thought-provoking perspective on life. He enjoys writing comedies placed in dramatic settings, and most of all, he likes playing with contrast between genres. Tim knows life can be challenging and thinks stories, particularly those with humor, make the tough times a little bit easier to handle. Tim is the writer of the Academy Award qualifying film Crackers, as well as the author of AFAC, I'm Trapped in India. He is currently working on a film adaptation for Jesus Brother James. When Tim is not busy writing, he enjoys making films, playing tennis, and learning history. He resides in Holly Springs, North Carolina. So Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be in Charlotte. Uh, so you're a drug dealer who likes to write. Is that true? That's true. That's true. Yeah. I uh, I call myself a drug dealer because in today's uh, America, you don't want to say you work for a pharmaceutical company. Is there some kind? I'm not. I'm sure. I'm trying to figure it out. Is there some relationship between pharmaceutical sales and writing? The relationship is I, I travel quite a bit, so I have yeah. some downtime. I get to um, sit in various countries. Um, on planes and trains, etc., and gives me a lot of time to write. Also, it gives me a chance to think about um, various ideas for a story. And when you're in other countries quite a bit, uh, my first novel, um, as you mentioned, Afak, I'm Trapped in India, was actually based on my travels um, in India. So some of the comedy in that, in that book comes from you know my experience in, in working in that environment. So the connection is really not direct, but it definitely allows me to have extra time, and also to see a lot of interesting things in the world. Okay, so when you're not pushing pills, you're pushing words on a page? Is that the idea? That's it. Um, I push pills during the day because that's where the money is. I love to write, and um, I I push those words when I can. Your path to writing, were you doing this before you started traveling, or were you... Is it something you started at a young age or what? Yeah, I've always written from an early age. Um, even in college, through grad school, I took creative writing classes. Um, I was stuck on my first novel. Um, I'm one of those authors who wants to write the first great novel of their life. And, you know, 2,000 pages later and f- five re- rewrites, I, I was still kind of on that treadmill. And what happened was a, 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 I didn't know him at the time, became a friend of mine, worked for HBO. He came to me, had read some of my writing, and asked if I would write a screenplay. Um, it ended up being Crackers, which we're going we're gonna to cover later in the show. 
Um, and that whole exercise of writing crackers was was such a great experience that it really taught me how to tell a story. So then when I went back to work on my novels, um, now I know how to tell a story in a much uh, crisper, cleaner way. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I've stuck with that screenwriting, and I still continue to write screenplays. So there's this relationship between writing screenplays and writing novels because you've got dialogue, and you've got good dialogue in the book here. Um, what are some of the other similarities or differences between those two art forms? Yeah, so the similarities in um, writing a screenplay is you you still have to tell a story. You still have to have a character arc. You have to have all the elements of a good story. Um, the difference really is that when you write a screenplay, it's really limited. You only have a certain number of pages. A screenplay, normally, full feature film is anywhere from 90 to 110, 120 pages. So you really need to have the arc. You need to have it quickly. Um, it doesn't allow you to really explore things, so it's really a concise story. Um, writing a novel really allows you to explore various avenues. Um, it also allows you to be cre- a little more creative. Um, in a film, you know, you have to keep in mind that the audience has to keep up with you. I, I think in a in a novel, you're you have much more flexibility to take the story in various ways because a reader can follow your story in different ways that someone watching a film can't. So I've heard it said that um, from some authors that they read their work out loud to give them a sense for whether the dialogue is any good. Is that something that you subscribe to? Uh, actually, I, since I don't like hearing my own voice, I don't read my own dialogue. Um, what I do, actually, I'm lucky. Uh, being in the film industry, um, I know actors who will read my dialogue, but right on my block I have two wonderful actors who come over on a Saturday night. We have a glass of wine, and, and they just go through my dialogue so uh, does, it get better, does it get better with the more wine or what? <laughs> well, if it's bad dialogue, I drink more wine. And okay. if it's good dialogue, they tend to drink more wine. So <laughs> it depends on, on the dialogue. That's but it, it, it's, to hear someone else, and, and I can't emphasize enough in the filmmaking industry, when you hear uh, trained actors go through dialogue, it's amazing uh, the enlightenment that happens when you're listening to them. Uh, go over your your lines, especially comedy, um, because comedy is about timing. So it's it's something you have to translate into a book. So even though you're writing a novel, you still have to have that comedic timing. Um, and to have actors read your dialogue, it really helps with that timing piece of mm-hmm. does, does the joke work? Does it um, kind of you know happen in in a pace that, that that's funny? Well, we're going to talk uh, about Crackers, the the film that you worked on before the show's out and also you've been uh, producing a film on Jesus Brother James we're going to talk about that as well but before we do that let's talk about this book Jesus Brother James why use Jesus Brother James in what some would consider a dark comedy yeah so um, I'm the fifth of five fifth of five children so uh, as you know um, I'm a parent so you know the first child gets a lot of attention the second child gets less so by the fifth child you know (laughs) They, my mom didn't even know my name at that point. Yeah, the way I've heard it told is that uh, with the first child, when they drop their pacifier on the ground, they sterilize it. And the second child, they pick it up and wipe it on their pants. The third child, they just pick it up and stick it back in their mouth. <laughs> yeah, and the fifth child, they stick anything in the mouth just yeah. to keep them quiet. Yeah. yeah. So um, I've always been attracted to uh, the underdog or the not well-known. Um, and having um, been brought up in a, in a family where I did a lot of historical reading – 
I was always attracted to Jesus' brother James because most people don't even know that Jesus had a brother, um, James. Uh, he actually started the church in Jerusalem, uh, was a, a big historical f- uh, figure. But again, if you go up to the average person, um, they may not even know that, that he existed. Um, so I was always drawn. They don't want to emphasize the fact that perhaps he had a brother because then that brings in the humanness of Joseph and Mary, perhaps? I don't know. Yeah, well, for me, um, I was brought up uh, Catholic. And so the virginity of Mary is very important. Um, and so it's not only she was a virgin when, when Jesus was born, but for some, it's perpetual virginity that she was a virgin her, her whole life. So then Jesus couldn't have had a brother. So when it's quoted in the Bible, people have you know argued that it really wasn't a brother. It could have been a stepbrother. It could have been a cousin, depending on the translation of the Greek from the New Testament. And what's your what's your belief? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I have no problem with with uh, Jesus having a brother. For for one thing, if you think about it, Joseph had a tough a tough time. As I just read through the the book, there, mm-hmm. um, there's a little funny section that says "poor Joseph" because if you think about it, you know Joseph is told that his fiance is pregnant. Um, but she became pregnant by a spirit. And then after Jesus is born to say, oh, he never had had sex with Mary. Well, then that would be right. would be pretty it's kind depressing. Of hard, <laughs> kind of hard to take, right? Yeah. yeah. And also from Jesus' standpoint, it'd be nice if he had a brother to hang out with and, and uh, to grow up with. So I, I, I kind of tend to believe that, uh, did, that he did have a brother. But, okay, so did your religious upbringing influenced this book in any way? Um. It, it did. It, it greatly influenced it. So first of all, as I, I mentioned, um, I know a lot about um, historical Christianity. It's always been a topic that I've read quite a bit about. Um, and in history, as I mentioned, James disappears. Uh, and if you look at that time, I know this is a, a comedy book, but you know he kind of disappears from the scene. And Paul becomes famous, and the periphery outside of Jerusalem becomes more important than Jerusalem. And, and you know, such things. So I look back on that character of, of James as a, as a fascinating person who's lost to history. Not only that, but I grew up near a um, a redemptorist retreat where brothers were trained to become priests, and I I met several um, pr- um, soon to be priests, and they would study. We'd go up there and we'd discuss a lot. And in the book, there's a character named Cody, and this character is based on two different priests I knew. One was uh, who left and eventually left the priesthood to, to get married. And in the book, the priest struggles with that, you know, that, that celibacy commitment. And another um, brother who went on to become a priest who actually went to Iraq, he was a chaplain in the war, and he came back and I talked to him quite a bit about his experience in the war. So I, I combined the two characters into one because I thought it was fascinating. Because, um, again, you don't normally get the chance to talk to a priest who's been in Iraqi war situation or in a war situation. So um, that's where those two characters are based on, and that's all from my upbringing and meeting these these priests. Yeah, you, you did blend them together in the book because uh, you're going to have a little scene here. Uh, well, actually, your first scene was Mike and Father Cody interacting. Um, Father Cody is this character who you say struggling with celibacy. Amber's going to help him with that in a little bit <laughs> in a reading that you have. Um, but tell us about Mike. Um, so Mike is a character who, um, when I started this book, is someone who I've met many times. Um, a person who's in their late 30s or so, who, who's at a plateau in their life and they're about ready to go through a midlife crisis. The character himself is based on a good friend of mine who 
I lost touch with, and he passed away at a very early age. And I kind of went back, and I had all these pictures of us, and you know, kind of cards we sent back together, or back and forth to get to each other, you know, about dreams and about what we wanted to do. And it was a little sad because I felt like some of the things that I thought he would do, he just never did. And the flair of all the pictures uh, of our time in college together changed. And so that character is based completely on you know a, a person who gets to that plateau in life and it's not where they want it to be now you've got a book cover here um <laughs> and it's very interesting you've got uh sort of a silhouette background of some buildings but in the forefront is a large figure bearded uh, brown hair brown beard he's wearing headphones he's got his hand held out and he's holding four people in his hand right. he looks like uh, he's wearing a robe of some kind so this could be jesus brother james right, right. And he's holding four people, and the four people he's holding, I assume, are the four characters in the book. Yes. Yeah, and yep. th- and those characters are kind of on a quest in this book, right? They are. They're all going through their own struggles, and the the James is the the character that kind of brings them all together, um, and they're going through very very different struggles, um, but at the same time, they're they're all at that plateau in life, in the middle of their life of, we need to to choose the right path going forward. Um, and I love that picture of, of James on the cover because it plays with the idea of obviously James lived a long mm-hmm. time ago, mm-hmm. but he has headphones on. <laughs> and yeah. and I, I think that's part of the story is when you meet this character, James, you're going to meet him and say, well, this person lived a long time ago. So you, you know that you have to take a leap that who is this character and, and obviously could it really be Jesus' brother James since he lived so long ago? So... Do you feel like you're poking fun at religion, or do you feel like you're being respectful to history but adding some kind of comedic twist or something else? Yeah, I, I'm not poking fun at religion at all. Um, I think religion, the, the concept of religion is it's supposed to help you get through the day. And so that's what this is about. It's about what's going to get these characters through the day. Um, life is tough. A lot of things happen to people. Um, and even though it's a comedy, um, I was always, you know, I grew up in a time where comedies were tough. You know, All in the Family, <laughs> Sanford and Son, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. these were really kind of gritty comedies. Um, MASH, you know, they, they, these were comedies that took place in, in rough settings in the sense that the characters had a lot to, to struggle with. And so it's not about religion, although obviously James is a, is a very important historical religious figure. It's more about the the struggle to to know what to do with your life and each of these characters there's a hidden past sort of with all these characters but even more so with father cody and with uh jesus brother james um and that's sort of where you lay a little mystery into the story do you consider this a mystery of some kind it's not nobody's died but you've got there are some past some hidden past with these characters yeah, I, I think it is. It's a, it's a mystery for each person individually, but then as a whole and how people relate to each other. Um, I think life in a lot of ways is a mystery. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know about you, but when right. I think about my life, it's usually trying to put puzzle, piece, <laughs> pieces of puzzle together. Right. Um, and sometimes when you step back three or four years later, you say, oh, that, was, that wasn't that hard of a decision. But when you're in the midst of it, uh, it's a tough decision. Um, so I think that is the mystery, is what are these characters going to do to get on the path, as you said? Um, and I'm trying to find humor in the difficulty. 
Um, because if you look at it from a reader, it's, it's funny, you know, all these troubles that they have and, and the things they're going through and the outrageousness that they'll turn to, you know, this mysterious character, uh, just shows you their, their needs and, and the desperation that they have to, to fill those needs. All right. So we're going to, um, Jesus, brother James is a man of few words. And so you're going to read a little segment now, which clues us into the few words that he does say in the book here. Um, this is after, uh, Mike has been shot, um, and I'm going to ask you to pick it up with that, uh, with that reading. Opening his eyes, Mike could only see a large, white, intense blur emanating from a round, bright center, surrounded by a dark background. He closed his eyes, pressed his eyelids together, and reopened them once again, hoping his vision would improve. It didn't. He could only see the same fuzzy whiteness. After another attempt to clear his vision, he could still see a bright haze in front of him as though he were at the bottom of a pool, looking up at the sunlight bouncing off the surface of the water. As he stared at the clearest part of the gray, a dark silhouette of long-haired, olive-skinned man came into view and blocked part of the light as he moved in front of Mike. The figure hovered above Mike, staring silently down at him. Rakama, Mike heard floating down from the figure in a soothing manner. Jesus? The olive-skinned man uttered something, but Mike couldn't understand the man's words. My God, my God, Jesus, is that you? Mike questioned, his voice fracturing from emotion. He tried to raise himself up towards the figure, but the man pulled back away from him. Jesus, please talk to me. Are we in heaven? Rakama, the looming figure stated as he leaned back towards Mike, again hovering near him. Staring deeply at the man's feature, Mike noticed his strong Middle Eastern chin, dark brown eyes, long black hair, thick unkept beard, and deep dark olive complexion. The man epitomized Mike's ideal image of Jesus Christ. Tears flooded from Mike's eyes like waterworks from St. Peter after his third denial at the thought of meeting his Lord and Savior and the anticipation that his suffering was at an end. The moment of judgment brought memories of his life, both good and bad. The charitable acts dueled with the selfish ones, like volunteering at a brown bag event to feed the poor versus sleeping with his administrative assistant. The pleasant thoughts of his wedding against the signing of his divorce papers. His first date with Alyssa versus the horrible scene of his naked brother on top of his wife overshadowed every other moment of his being. Tears flowed faster. My God, I'm sorry, Mike apologized, feeling though he had ruined the gift of life that Jesus had offered him. Rakama, the man repeated in a language foreign to Mike, but at the same time in a tone that Mike understood. Mike's tears stopped. The man, who Mike hoped was Jesus, put his elongated rough palm on Mike's cheek to wipe a stream of tears. Jesus' finger felt strong and hard. Mike shook in fear, waiting for something dramatic to happen, but nothing did. Mike, feeling pressured, attempted to pack every good deed in his thoughts and project them to Jesus. Feeling as though he was being judged, Mike hoped he could persuade Jesus to let him into heaven. Mike waited, wondering if Jesus performed some form of new patient evaluation. Mike wanted to be a patient, 
but now he shook with anxiety, rocking back and forth to soothe himself. Will it take long to get to heaven? Mike inquired. The figure did not say anything. Jesus simply sat and stared at Mike with a steady, stoic stare. Is this some kind of test? Mike asked, hoping it would cause some reaction. Jesus stayed silent. Feeling unnerved, Mike started to babble. I know it might have been a sin to want to kill myself, but I didn't go through with it. The priest shot me. Mike waited for a reaction from Jesus, but the figure did not say anything. Mike tried to change his tone, concerned it was negative. But I forgive him for shooting me. I forgive everyone. Rakama, the man repeated. All right, Tim, uh, that word must have been said about uh, 50 times in this book by Jesus' brother James. Can you can you tell us what it means? <laughs> well, um, I would, but it's a little uh, mysterious in the sense that it's it has a kind of, for the reader... Uh, you're uh, going to make him buy the book. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but it is Aramaic, right? It is Aramaic. So um, when I started crafting this book, um, and as I mentioned, I was very drawn to the character of Jesus. Um, I, I actually was in Copenhagen with a colleague, and, and he bought a T-shirt that had a devil on it, and it said... Um, God is busy. Can I help you? And so, I I came up with this thought of what if somebody was praying to Jesus and you know James showed up, and to make it even more difficult for the characters. And as you know, Jesus spoke Aramaic, so um, James doesn't speak um, English. He speaks Aramaic, which makes it more challenging for these characters who are drawn to this character of James to try and figure out what. Um, what he says, but that's an important word throughout the book. Um, All right, we'll, we'll give you that. We'll come, we'll come back <laughs> to that. All right, so here's, here's what we're going to do. Uh, uh, listeners, we're going to take a little uh, quick break, uh, and when we come back, we're going to actually compare um, what something sounds like when it's in a, uh, uh, in a film and what it sounds like uh, on the page, and, that, and we're going to do that with Amber, who's going to be hitting on uh, Father Cody. And then we've got our writing life segment and maybe one or two more quick readings. And uh, yeah, so stay with us. Hey, listeners, I'm here at Park Road Books with uh, Sally. And Yola's right over here, too, the, <laughs> the, the bookstore dog. But uh, Yola's not going to speak to us. Sally, how you doing? I'm doing great. You got, you got two book picks for us? I do. I've got two really interesting books. One is um, The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek by Kim Michelle Richardson. And I want everybody to get on their computer or smartphone right now and Google Troublesome Creek, Kentucky, blue people. Are there blue people in Troublesome Creek, Kentucky? Yes, there are. And this is a real thing. Oh. It's a genetic disorder. It runs oh. with your blood and your skin is blue. And here I was thinking it was fun, but it's a, it's a real thing? It's a real thing. What happens was uh, a lot of people came from this place in France that carried this disorder. They ended up in the hollers of Kentucky. There was not a large dating pool, so a little bit of uh, marrying your cousin was going on. Banjo music in the background. Exactly. Dun, 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 dun. And um, so actually you can see pictures of, of the family and there's some blue people in the family. So this is a story based on the Kentucky Pack Horse Project, which was a true thing. Basically a bookmobile on a Kentucky pack horse. So this is two instances of, true, of, of real things, uh, the Blue People of Kentucky, of Troublesome Creek, and the Kentucky Pack Horse Project. Mm-hmm. Now, now you got a blue cover for your other book, but it has nothing to do with blue people. It has to do with... 
beer. Beer, okay. Wonderful, wonderful beer. Tell us about the Lager Queen of Minnesota. This is by J. Ryan Straddle. Um, I just love her. Her previous book was Kitchens of the Great Midwest. And this is about a family that ends up owning a beer company and a granddaughter that saves this beer company. So if you're at all interested in in doing your own thing with brewing, your own brewery. Um, I tell you, I love a good IPA, and this book was so satisfying to sit out on the back porch and read about this family trying to make it work with beer. And Lola looks very satisfied sitting over here in your very comfortable chair. Oh, we have two couches and lots of comfortable chairs at Park Road Books. Come sit in them and read a book. Come sit and read a book and then leave after you buy a book. Well, hopefully. Hopefully. All right. But we won't make you. Thanks, Sally. Thank you, Landis. Charlotte Readers Podcast and host Landis Wade are grateful to you for listening to this show. If you like the show, please leave a short written review on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes, or the podcast platform of your choice, because your review helps authors share their stories with more listeners. Thank you for your support. Hey, listeners, we're back with uh, author Tim Reinhart, uh, author of Jesus Brother James, and also uh, a film writer. And right now we're going to do something uh, a little interesting. We're going to take a little clip here from uh, of a film that he's producing uh, from the book Jesus Brother James. We're going to play a little clip here. It's about a minute. And then I'm going to have Tim read uh, a section of the book that uh, that film is based on. We'll talk a little bit about the similarities and differences between the two. And what you're going to hear is uh, Amber, who's a character in the book, who's uh, approaching Father Cody uh, outside a bar after she's discovered uh, that he's a priest and she's tried to hit on him. You'll have to excuse my behavior in there. I've just had a little too much to drink. (laughs) It's quite all right. I'm used to forgiving people. Well, then you'll just have to keep on forgiving me. I'm still having sinful thoughts. I hope my Uber gets here soon. I can wait here with you if you like. That'd be nice. I'll give you some time to decide. Decide what? Whether or not you're going to get in the car with me. Do you know what the best way to get rid of temptation is? No. Give in to it. Are you Amber? Is he coming with us? Last chance. It's my birthday. You will have to forgive me. I've had way too much to drink, Amber admitted. Father Cody hesitated as he tried to speak in a calm, clerical voice. That is quite all right. I'm used to forgiving people. But it's not okay if I keep having those thoughts now that I know you're a priest, she chuckled. God, I'm glad the Uber will be here soon. Ember smiled at Cody, opened her lips, and mouthed the words, Good God, as she surveyed his muscular chest. Although Ember's continuous flirting flustered him, Cody tried to remain calm. I can stay here until the car comes, if you like. That would be nice. It would give you some time to decide. Decide what? Decide whether or not you're going to come with us. Amber laughed and again mouthed the words, Good God, to Cody, with a smile. With his clerical voice cracking, Father Cody strained to joke, Come with us? 
He continued to stare as though she had held a gun at his midsection, and he feared moving his eyes at all. As they stood in this standoff, Cody slowly ran his eyes from her full red lips down to her high heels, recording every image of her in his memory in case they never met again. Finally, a black Passat pulled up and an Uber driver called out to Amber. Father Cody sighed. Your car is here. Just then, Jennifer exited the bar and stopped when she noticed Cody. Is he coming with us? Amber smirked as she stood erect and adjusted her attire. Come on, it's my birthday. As though she were seeing a worm squirm on a hook, she grew uncomfortable watching his gawkiness. I, uh, uh, I... Amber smiled one last time and then kissed him gently on the cheek, her hand squeezing his firm midsection. Father Cody gasped from her soft hands. Moving away from Cody to the car, she straightened her hair, put her finger on the corner of her mouth, and then slid into the car. Cody watched her, happy that the temptation had moved away from him, but sad the inspiration of such wrongful thoughts was leaving. The car door closed, and he knew such excitement probably would not return for a while. Father Cody gulped the remainder of his whiskey, repeating to himself, shower, shower, shower. All right, Tim, so we've got a scene there from the book that you made into this short film, this is going to be a short film, and you've read from the book the same scene, but there are differences, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> Um, in this case, which came first? The book came first, right? And then the screenplay? Well, actually, um, every time I write a story, the screenplay comes first. Okay, so, so the screenplay it, came first. It was an outline, right? Yeah. So is what you read in the book uh, an expanded version of what the original screenplay was like? Yeah, and um, and actually, if you watch the film, this scene in particular, um, actually Amber kisses the priest right out of nowhere. Um, and I think part of that is, is again, the timing with a film. You want to kind of draw your audience in. So the fact that she goes and kisses Cody out of the blue and then finds out he's a priest is kind of a very visually um, stirring event. Yeah, and that happens in the bar before this scene that's outside that I played, and she finds out he's a priest there. Um, and in, in the book, he finds her in an alley or something. She comes up, they have this conversation. But there's some things in the book that are not in the if you're listening to the film version you can't see what's going on you know, and, and in the film itself all these different facial expressions or where she places her hand or what she does with her lips or what he's looking at yeah. those are all the things that you do visually with a film but you've got to inject it into the novel right. for the reader to be able to see what's going on right Yeah, and, and it's ironic because the actress who played Amber um Tamara was saying that she missed some of the things in the book because in the book you get the sense that it's a, a power relationship that Amber's enjoying the the power of attraction that she holds over over this person. Uh, it's much more about you know that interaction and it's much slower than in the movie that it, it just happens all at once and it, it happens at a very a much faster pace. So there's a lot more in the book and it allows you, to really kind of pull this scene out. Um, also, later on in the in the book, you know, because I think for the reader, you spend quite a bit of time wondering if she's gonna gonna you know if they're gonna romantically become involved in that first kiss, and and it allows me to you know kind of pull that you know retract that out and kind of make it mm -hmm. much a longer um, suspenseful thing. 
Whereas in the movie, it's it's much more kind of a dramatic visual, and we like the visual in the bar, but it's it's very different. So we got four characters. We we've talked about uh, Mike, Father Cody, Amber, but Amber's got a boyfriend, Paul. Right. And Paul is, I would say, he's one of the four, but he's sort of a lesser character. But he, to some extent, he's driving Amber because he's not being attentive. He's um, she's frustrated at work. In fact, there's a little scene here. I'd like you to read that kind of gives us further insight into Amber. Not only is she frustrated on her birthday that Paul's out of town and she runs into this really good-looking guy that turns out to be a priest, but, and, and but she's struggling at work, too. And may I say, there was actually a, the, one of the priests that this, this person's based on is I have gotten comments over the years because if he's not out with his collar and his his uh, black jacket on, people go, oh, who's your yeah. attractive friend? And <laughs> I have to let them know that he's actually a priest. Okay. So let's let's read a little bit about Amber here. You're filling John's open position with someone from the outside? Yes, Steve replied with a strange smile. Amber, still shaken from the announcement, stammered, Can I ask you the reason why no internal candidate was considered? The question only pertained to one internal candidate. No particular reason. I wanted to go in a new direction. New direction? Was there something wrong with the successful old direction? Amber asked, barely containing her anger. Steve shot Amber an unpleasant glance, returned to his corporate robotic response mechanisms, and confidently replied, the sales have not been what we expected. The sales exceeded targets by almost 30%. Are you sure about those numbers, Steve asked, with an intentional obtuseness rising in his demeanor? Steve, a company propagandist, had the endurance to continue an emotionless, irrational conversation intended to wear down the most passionate employee. He possessed the uncanny ability to release illogical, vague statements in an indifferent manner, it always deterred his reports from attaining any satisfactory answer. Yes, I'm more than positive, gasped Amber, forgetting Steve had transformed into his intentional obtuseness mode. I've been sending you sales updates every Monday, and I just sent you the quarterly. Amber continued as her voice elevated to a level that suddenly unnerved her director. Steve, realizing his normal techniques were not achieving the desired result, firmly scratched his chin as though it would loosen a clever retort. It did not. Amber, this is not about performance, Steve commented in a stern, calm voice. Not about performance? Then what the fuck is it based on? Amber, that is not appropriate. Is this the way you think of your current staff? I am not sure why you're translating this as a negative to the current staff. Because none of your current staff got the promotion, Amber interrupted in a tone that bordered on a yell. I'm not following your logic. This passion is something you need to work on. You don't want me to have passion for my job? You want me to not care, like you? She screamed. Steve, a veteran of of annual two-week management trainings for 20 consecutive years, used his favorite management tool and left the room without saying a word. Amber stood in disbelief waiting for someone to come back into the room and explain that this was just a prank, but no one did. Amber stood there for several minutes, frozen with anger, disappointment, and incredulity, all mixing together. Finally, after 10 minutes, her cell phone buzzed with a new message from Steve. Amber read it to herself. Can you prepare some thorough orientation material for Tina? She is new to this type of sales and could use a basic introduction. Amber screamed with a passion not normally witnessed in a corporate setting and smashed her phone against the wall. 
so Amber is sexually frustrated, and she's frustrated with a boss who doesn't treat her with respect, and uh, and she's running into to characters, including a man who only says Rockamore, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Amber, um, actually, Amber is a character. Um, my editor, um, who read the first version, loved the character of Amber, and I expanded um, her character um, from the first version to the second. And uh, it, it may sound funny to to go over this, but maybe for comedy's sake. Amber is actually based on myself okay. um, because right. I, and I've been in a corporate setting where you're very frustrated. Um, not so much sometimes with what happens, but the um, obtuseness of the characters you have to deal with that mm-hmm. there's just a lack of honesty that everyone kind of plays angles and, and, and it's, it's almost like you're trapped in a Dilbert cartoon, the way people act and you really think it's not real that people are putting you on and it's a prank that they, they, they just want to hide their true intentions so much. And so Amber is definitely frustrated. Um, she's a smart person. Um, she's got a boyfriend who's indifferent. Um, and she's in a corporate job where everyone's indifferent to her. And I think that's why she's attracted to James, because if, if James is nothing else, he's attentive, <laughs> even though he doesn't speak. All right, we're going to do a little bit of a writing life segment here before we have a final read and before we talk briefly about crackers. Why do you write... I write because it's fulfilling to me. I love to tell stories. So um, I think writing is an extension of story, my storytelling. So if you came to my house, I probably would tell stories about my life. And and if there's no one in the house to, to talk to, then I, I write on my computer. True, false. Routine is an important part of my writing process. Uh, false. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it Maybe it's because I'm a comedy writer. Um, <laughs> right. But, so, uh, so what do you do? Just when it hits you, kind of... Yeah, when I, you got to capture it, and um, you got to capture it when it's when it's there. I was just flying back from from Switzerland, and I wrote forty five pages of a screenplay, mm. and I looked at it, it was real tight. I liked it, real happy with it. And I've I've done other weeks where I say I'm going to write two hours a day, and I get to the end of the week, and I have you know hours and hours worth of junk. <laughs> so it's just you know I, I think though you have to be disciplined enough to try. Um, or be ready when it does hit to go and do it. Um, so I, I think you have to write, but you just have to figure out what works best okay. for you. True, false. Rejection does not bother me. False. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and especially I think with comedy, um, uh, in both ways, um, you know, when you're sitting in a theater and you know you you think a joke is really going to go off and yeah. the silence, uh, that's a rejection that's undeniable. <laughs> At least you're not standing up on stage, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, well, it's funny though because everyone is sometimes like I just did a screening of some of the filming of Jesus Brother James and. You know, you're standing there. Everyone knows you wrote it. So if they don't yeah. laugh at the right spots. <laughs> yeah, you're, 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 yeah, okay. Uh, true, false. Writing the second book was harder than the first. Uh, false. Okay. I, I found. We're going well, to first... one here. False, false, false. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my first book's still not finished. So, okay. Um... Well, that make, okay, that makes sense. Uh, writing is hard work. True or false? That's true. Yeah. Um, I, I think initial writing is, is easy and fun. I think going back and crafting it into... Um, something that's really work, you know, that's good is, is tough. It's a tough, mm-hmm. and even every time you go back to it, you, you think I could change this or change that. So it's really hard work. Fill in the blank. The vices and activities that interfere with my writing include. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see, my family, yeah. my job. I, um, I, I think, yeah, day-to-day things. Um, although in many ways, they're also the inspiration of why you write. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, life gets in the way of, of a lot of things, right? So mm. um, I, I think that's why I write so much when I'm away from 
from the world um, when I'm over in these countries where there's no Wi-Fi, there's no email, there's just, you know, you and walking down the streets of Mumbai or in, you know, mm-hmm. on a boat ride in, in St. Petersburg. There's nothing to do but just think, and it really kind of takes you outside of that. So if I could uh, use superpowers, superhero powers in my writing, I would choose which one? Uh, I guess I'd be a telepath. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I think for me, the the greatest thing to write is about characters, and so um, it's really nice to get into people's heads and say, you know, what are they going to do? And I, I try really hard with my characters to to develop ideas about, you know, what what are they doing, and and uh, to really open up. And I, I think that's one thing about screenplays that doesn't allow you to do that mm. that novels do is to really explore people's thought process. So in both novel writing and, and in screenplay writing, you're trying to tap into emotions of either the viewer or the reader. What emotions do you like to tap into the most? I, I must say, um, and I don't know if it's shock, but I definitely like to surprise people. Um, I like people to approach things differently. And so hopefully with my characters, they're going to <clears throat> think, wow, that's different. <laughs> I didn't expect a you know, priest to shoot somebody and be a war veteran, you know, example, things like that. So mm-hmm. I, I really like to, to surprise people. All right, Tim, we've got time for one more reading here. This, these characters have gone on a quest. They've headed to New York City. They're trying to find a translator uh, who can speak Aramaic so they can get to the bottom of this mystery. Um, and who's in this scene? So in this scene, we have Mike, um, James, and a um, professor, who is going to translate? Hopefully, is going to translate what James is saying, so they understand. Mike understands what he's saying. Okay, pick it up. No, I I mean we are here because of your knowledge of Aramaic. Mike started to shake with nerves. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Mike looked at the photos of refugees on her shelves. Did you take all the photos yourself? Yes, these are Kurdish camps in Iraq. I volunteer in these camps. I speak various dialects that are useful to the aid groups. When I'm back in Iraq, I'm going to help build a sanitation system. Sanitation system? Yes. Do you know that unhealthy water is an underlying cause for the deaths of about 20% of children in some parts of the world? Wow, that's so interesting, Mike said as he hung his head. Did you study engineering? Engineering? No. I just helped translate. That's all. That's all. It's pretty impressive. You're so generous. You're so beautiful. You're so intelligent. I've read a lot of your work, and it's quite fascinating. Miss Saber squirmed in her chair, uncomfortable with all the compliments. It's always nice to meet people interested in my work. You wanted to see me about Aramaic, she said, hoping to steer Mike to the point of the meeting. Uh, Yes, uh, I'm sorry. Mike hesitated for a long moment. I know we must seem strange to you. Actually... I get many requests from Christians wanting to connect with the language that Jesus spoke. She replied, glancing over to James, who started to hum. Oh, but I must admit, this is the first time I've had a request for translating in connection with someone claiming to be the brother of Jesus. Miss Saber, sensing Mike's apprehension, leaned over to him. Okay, so we're going to find out what uh, Jesus' brother James has been saying all along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to so, find out a little bit more about him. Yeah, yeah so that's the they, – they go on a road trip. So they have a classic road trip. The uh, the priest, uh, his potential girlfriend, 
um, Suicidal Mike and this mysterious James uh, go to New York to find a translator for Aramaic. And people do find answers in this book? They do find answers. Okay. So I think um, all the four characters, you know, find answers. Um, so it's, it's a little dark at first, but I think it lightens up at the end. All right, just quickly, you did this uh, short film called Crackers. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, um, so as I mentioned before, I was struggling with my first novel, and I was introduced to a person who worked for HBO Film, and he liked my comedy writing, and so he asked me if I would co-write uh, a screenplay with him. Uh, ended up working in, in a producer co-producer capacity, and uh, this film called Crackers, it's a something called a featurette. It's about a 30-minute film, uh, and several of the crew from HBO uh, helped film it, so it's a high-quality film. And it's actually on film, which mm. is not common these days. Uh, so it's actually made on film, and it um, qualified for the Academy, so for in, in the category of shorts. So what happens there is, in order to be considered for an Academy Award, um, you have to qualify for the film. So we qualified for the consideration. We were notified late in the process, so I'd like to think that we, we were... <laughs> You're we getting were, close. We were getting close, but it, um, unfortunately we didn't make it to the, the final um, number that you could get to go out to right. California. And, 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 and you had some, some real actors? Yeah, yeah, it was great. We had a, a, a wonderful cr uh, cast. Um, we had Vincent D'Onofrio, who's been in, you know, for, for me... Uh, I first saw Vincent D'Onofrio in Full Metal Jacket. He's been in Men in Black. He's been in The Cell with Jennifer Lopez. And so he's really the star of the film. It's a story about an out-of-work chef who is having some family trouble. Um, and his mother-in-law, who's a bit over the top, is played by Brenda Vaccaro. Um, again, she's been an actress, been around for a long time. She was in um, Midnight Cowboy. She was also in Capricorn One in the 70s. Um, and I think in the 90s, she, uh, I know she did the film, but I can't remember exactly when it came out, but she did a movie called You Don't Know Jack, where she won an Emmy because she played the sister of Jack Kevorkian in that film with Al Pacino. All right, we got about 58 seconds here on this little <laughs> clip I'm going to play. This is a scene where um, uh, the main character you just described is having a conversation with his wife because he doesn't want her to leave town and leave him home alone with the mother-in-law. Right. <laughs> okay. All right, let's play that. Gus, honey, the bus is supposed to be here in like five minutes. Okay. Look, I, uh, I, I don't want you to go. <laughs> I don't I think it's a good idea. Don't do this, honey. Come on, you, this is... Look, you promised. Yeah, right? I know I promised, but it's not a good idea. You're not going. You're not going. Gus? No. I'm going. You shouldn't go. You shouldn't do this. Look, you My cannot leave me. My sister just had her baby. What kind of a person would I be if I didn't go? You're going to leave me here alone with your mother? Are you crazy? She said she's... Her living here is only temporary. No, it's not. She's ruined our sex life. Okay, she's killed my guard. She broke Luke's car. This I know. is not a temporary thing. This is like... I'm only going to be gone for a couple of days, okay? Just try to block her out while I'm gone. Think about the other. Think about how wonderful our weekend's going to be together in this city. Please. I love you. <laughs> so, so anyone who's left at home alone with the mother-in-law can relate to this? Is that? Yeah, and Brenda Vaccaro uh, really uh, conveys a mother-in-law who's over the top, who's yeah. just, uh, 
she basically drives Vincent D'Onofrio crazy. And, and obviously there's the, the... The other reason it's called Crackers is because the, the mother-in-law loves nutcrackers. And so um, actually the poster of the film is, is of a, a nutcracker that's been damaged, shall we say. Yeah, but, and I think there was another scene you sent to me, we didn't have time to play it, where they're in a restaurant and she gets frustrated and says, you know, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and he says, don't curse. And she gets all over him. I'm not cursing. I'm just saying the names of people in, <laughs> in history. What's, what's, yeah, so you seem, like, to, you seem to work these uh, historical religious figure, figures into a lot of your work, right? Yeah. Is this I, a problem you have, Tim? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I, I think um, I did almost uh, go away to become a priest. Okay. Uh, when I was in high school, wow. so maybe that's had a lasting impact All on right. me. Okay. Um, I, I think the other thing too is I think it's always I love to surprise people with comedy, mm. and I think people are surprised uh, by some of the perspectives that I take on certain things. All right. Well, um, hey, where can we find your work? Um, yeah, to, I would say to follow me, um, go to my website tim.reinhardt.com and uh, tim.reinhardt.com. Yeah, right. tim.reinhardt.com. <laughs> Um, we'll put all the listings of all my book signings. We also put updates on the films. Um, we are also on Facebook, so you can look for Timothy Reinhardt on Facebook. Okay, and we'll have all this in the show notes too. So. Um, but yeah, those um, are the areas, and we do put updates on the filming. We we have filmed some of the, the scenes from Jesus Brother James, and the, f- the film is going to take place in the fall, so we're waiting for... The, it's it's ninety five degrees here today. Okay, but, yeah. So, and, but and yeah. I think you can go on YouTube for like two bucks or and download Crackers, right? Yes, Crackers is available. Um, there's a link. It's hard if you have a hard time finding. Go to my website. Mm-hmm. I have a link to YouTube, and it's available. Um, they have shown it on Shorts International um, on TV. Um, I don't know if they're going to show it again. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it does come on TV once in a while if you have uh, that that channel, uh, International Shorts. Well, Tim, thanks for joining us. It's been great. It's been great having you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. In next week's episode, we have author Laura King Edwards. Laura is the author of Run to the Light, a story of her life after she learned a few weeks following her wedding that Taylor, her young sister, had a rare disease for which there was and is no cure. With her mother and family friends, Laura founded a charity in an effort to save children with the disease, and she came closer to Taylor and her mother. And Taylor didn't quit, and when the deep disease took her sight, Taylor wanted to run with Girls on the Run. And she completed her first race blind. Laura was inspired by Taylor, and Laura, being a lifelong runner herself, began running in half marathons to raise money and awareness. And eventually, she put on a blindfold and ran for Taylor. For periodic updates about the show and upcoming authors, please sign up for the podcast email list at charlottereaderspodcast.com. We promise not to spam you because Landis says that takes too much time. And if you do sign up as a thank you, Landis will give you an ebook complete with illustrations, his first in the Christmas Courtroom Trilogy. Please don't forget our sponsors, Park Road Books and Charlotte Mecklenburg Library. Links to our five sponsors and the resources are on the webpage and in the show notes. You can listen to Charlotte Readers Podcast episodes for free at charlottereaderspodcast.com or at Charlotte Mecklenburg Library's digital branch website. And you can subscribe and listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can find out more about us and our sister shows at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Charlotte Readers Podcast is available on social media, on Facebook, 
at Charlotte Readers Podcast, on Twitter at Charlotte Reader, on Instagram and on LinkedIn at Landis Wade. Until next week, I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. <laughs>